Hello and welcome to the Final Girls podcast where we explore the intersections of horror, film and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. We've just wrapped our second series about female monsters and occasionally on the podcast we'll be covering new films or series that we really want to talk about and it is a very good weekend for horror films. So we've got a couple of bonus episodes coming up, including this one, including another one on his house, another one on Relic. Today's bonus episode is all about The Craft Legacy, which has just hit UK cinemas. It follows an eclectic foursome of aspiring teenage witches who get more than they bargain for as they lean into their newfound powers. I'm joined in this episode by writer Leila Latif, and we've both seen The Craft Legacy. That's that's all I'm going to say before the discussion. The first part of the episode will be our overall thoughts on the film, and then I will leave a timestamp in the show notes to mark the beginning of our spoilerific discussion of The Craft Legacy. Layla, welcome back to the podcast to talk about the film that I think we were both kind of dreading to see. Yeah, we were determined to keep an open mind about this one. And I think I managed it until I saw the trailer. (laughs) And then like a sense of dread came over me. But then I tried to be like, you know, it's fine. Trailers are often very misleading. Mm-hmm. Gonna try and be positive, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have never worked so hard at keeping an open mind as I have mm. about the craft legacy. So we've been we've been chatting about it and kind of circling around having a chat about this film. So let's get into it. And for people listening who haven't seen The the Craft Legacy yet, the first chunk of this episode will be spoiler free. And then I will indicate and separate the spoilerific part of the conversation. So this first bit, we're going to be just talking about our overall thoughts of the film. So let's dig into it. God, isn't it sad that, like you said, for people who haven't seen The Craft Legacy, and I thought... Oh, that would be nice. (laughs) How I envy those people (laughs) who haven't had their childhoods ruined. No, I'm joking, obviously, but, you know. I'm I'm getting, I can hear your rosé wine tinkling. Yeah, no, I was saying to Anna, I've been on a health cleanse. I haven't touched a drop of alcohol for two months and and this film broke me. (laughs) I have, I have a very large rosé on the go. This is going to be a savage episode. So (laughs) before we dig into the craft legacy, what is your relationship with the craft? Uh, Yeah, I was about 11 when the craft came out. Um, I absolutely love the craft as I think a whole generation of women did. Um, It was, you know, some, you know, I was doing all of the light as a feather, stiff as a board with all Mm -hmm. my female friends. We even did the thing with like the knife to the throat. I remember like just watching the MTV Movie Awards and when Feruza Balk and uh, Robin Tunney got awarded Best Fight, it was like 
one of the greatest feelings I've ever had where I felt vindicated <laughs> after all these men who had been winning these win that fight award because for some reason the MTV movie awards seemed a big deal back then that like these two badass women managed to do it so yeah I love it I actually haven't done a rewatch for a really really long time and I did one last night um yeah and I think it really really holds up mm. um I mean I completely and very obviously agree with you what did you think what were your expectations for this sequel reimagining that is the craft legacy uh well you know blumhouse has um quite a varied output uh some of the stuff that comes out of it is absolutely brilliant like get out the recent invisible man film i really liked uh yeah so many things and then there's kind of a lot of duds. I think their policy generally is that they give you about $3 million and like complete creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously sometimes that works and sometimes um, you just get kind of some real, you know, turds. But <laughs> um, so when they first announced this, I was initially excited. Mm-hmm. And then I've, um, the way they started behaving with it made me suspect that they knew they could kind of had something not great on their hands Mm. because they announced it very very close to the release date um the trailer well didn't look good but then also uh I was supposed to review this for Little White Lies but we didn't end up doing it um in the end because they just wouldn't give any screeners out to press in the UK yep which is not a good sign but you you weren't able to get a screener either way nope no I think it was all of us I went to see it at the Genesis Cinema just yesterday. Oh, nice. Great cinema to support. Supporting local indie cinemas as much as I can. Not going as much as I usually would to cinemas anyway these days. But if it's the only way to see this film, it's the only way to see this film. So you kind of talked a little, we talked a little bit about expectations of it. But without going into the, the details that we'll discuss later on in the episode. And with all of this, I'm going to call it tension of seeing a reimagining of a beloved film from your teenage years how what did you make of the craft legacy uh i think it sort of didn't really work on any conceivable level uh i think structurally it was all over the place i think tonally it was all over the place i think the script was horrendous i think the actors were actually perfectly fine they were just kind of doing the best they could with the material. I think the plot made very little sense. I think the character development was like embarrassingly crap. Uh, But I would say still a few good moments in the mix there. It almost feels like they needed to take, I don't know, some more time with this and like let Mm. these ideas bake, fill out the dialogue. So it was actually you know, the way human beings speak to one another, because at times it was like, (laughs) this is just not what I recognize as a human conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it um, reminded me of something that um, I think I heard Paul Shear saying about Star Wars, Mm -hmm. that you know that the characterization in all of the Star Wars prequels was really bad, because if you take away someone's race and gender mm-hmm. and you describe just what they're like as a character do you have anything there and i think with literally with the four main girls in this 
Like, what character traits did they ever really have outside of their race and gender? Which, for a film that's trying to be super woke, is very, like, regressive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Oh my it's... god, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you think I liked this? No, but, like, you know, it's just nice to feel seen. Yes, um, it's... I... I don't understand what happened. Yeah. Because you're absolutely correct in the sense that for a film that, you know, and and I'm trying really hard to remove the weight of the expectations and the comparisons of the original craft, which is inevitable. But I think, you know, the conceit that the film is, the way that the film is kind of speaking to original craft, I actually, I'm okay with. I thought it was, I thought it was cute. It worked for me. That's fine. Yeah. Because it's not trying to remake. It's not trying to remake it, but it's not trying to remove itself from it. I think it speaks to the 90s craft in, in quite, in quite interesting ways. But the kind of sticking on the character thing that you bring up, I Honestly, I'm looking at the IMDb page right now, but if you put a gun to my head right now and said, name me the name of any one of the characters, I'd be like, I seriously don't know. I, yeah, I can't remember a single thing about them because... I remember Timmy. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that we remember the male character's name from a film <laughs> that's all about yeah. four teenage witches is kind of not a great sign, is it? No. I mean, I actually would... I think a lot of people from what I've seen online, hated Timmy. I oh. thought Timmy was the best thing in it. He was genuinely hilarious, that character, and really, really sweet. And then like when she makes out with him, I was like, oh my God, I'm 34, but I am so attracted to this 17 year old. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, oh, I'm, I'm really distressed that yeah. people hated on but Timmy. But it's such a shame. Well, I think that they just like hated the whole kind of wokeness. But I mean, you know, I love a, a woke man. We do love a woke man, but it kind of going back to the, what you were, the point you were making about the way that uh, the characters aren't really fleshed out aside from, say, uh, being, I don't know, tokenistic represent like representatives of something, be that their gender or their identity or their race. What did you think of the what they were trying to attempt? And what actually got delivered in terms of the the quartet of witches in the craft legacy? Yeah, so we have um, a trans Latina um, witch mm-hmm. um, who you know was played with a lot of style by the actress who have set, who who um, portrays her. And I thought, yeah, they really um, they do talk a little bit in the early bits of the film about how like oh witchcraft is so inherent. Um, connected to your heritage and I thought like oh my god amazing we're gonna go into some like great you know bruja stuff of like the you know mm-hmm. witchcraft from like a different tradition and it didn't go there wasn't one word about mm. that and then you have this black character who um at one point that I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say but like there's one point where they're kind of sharing three facts about themselves and she says I'm really worried for my brother's safety. I love Beyonce. And, oh, and I wish I had more black friends. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That like, we had Rachel True's portrayal in the original, which was this amazing 
beautiful, stylish, three-dimensional character who experiences racism, but at the end of the day, being black is not the most fascinating thing that she finds about herself. Like, she's a fully three-dimensional person who, like, you know, wouldn't come up with, like, three post-it notes, uh, statements about yourself as, like, the most cliched thing that a black person would say. Mm. And, like, for all that it's trying to be, like, politically progressive, that is regressive. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm really angry about that in particular because I like Rachel True for me was like such an icon and she was treated so poorly by yep. the media afterwards. And continues continues yeah. to be treated poorly in terms of it shouldn't it shouldn't even need praising, but she has been so incredibly outspoken about every yeah. single microaggression and erasure of her from conventions from reunions from press like even from stills and things like that like these tiny things that just sort of eliminate her character Rochelle who in herself was so iconic and important in to be featured in a film with the kind of the I don't want to use the word legacy because it relates to this film (laughs) with the with the impact that the craft had in the 90s Yeah, and that they're able to have this character who has, like, experienced such hideous racism and some of the stuff that they, um, that gets said to her in this film is still, like, really, like, shocking and as a black person quite difficult to hear. But we still have this, you know, well-rounded character that, like, every minute she's there, she's not sitting with her friends and being Mm. just like, oh, I wonder if they would be nice if more of you were black. Because, you know, she's just interacting with everyone and like just going about her way in the world that is not how people Mm. self-reflect on about themselves in the same way that if you're a woman you don't walk into a room and be like well as a woman you know that's just it oh I just thought it was such lazy writing and like deeply annoying Mm. and we've kind of spoken about Tabby which is Lovie Simone's character and Mm. Lourdes and then what did you think of there is it's it's sort of odd to think about any protagonist in in the craft legacy because I think it tries to very much emphasize the the sisterhood element, but mm-hmm. a lot of we spend quite a lot of the film with Lily. Um, I yeah. think she's kind of by default the protagonist. Did she work for you? I think she's like a perfectly like fine actress, and she um, seemed charming, and I liked a lot of her fashion choices but like fundamentally you can't have a character who's just like says what they are and doesn't actually do any of doesn't actually convey any of the things about them like she's very conventionally pretty and she's amiable but she'll just kind of say like oh well I've never had any friends and it's like well why would like that doesn't add up (laughs) with like everything that I can see about you Mm. like you seem extremely like confident like a person who has never had a friend is someone, you know, a bit like Sissy Spacek and Carrie. Like that's mm-hmm. what that person is like. And they would be very, you know, nervous of interacting with the world, but she doesn't have any of that. And I, I don't feel like it's enough for a film to just kind of have a line of dialogue to explain someone's entire motivations. Like we do actually have to see these things be built up. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, she seems too too cool to be an yeah. outcast. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a single in fact I'd say about all of them, 
I don't see a single thing about them that would make them outcasts in their high school, in their community. And in fact, I think their community is pretty much presented as a kind of, I don't know, Instagram perfect fall little like constantly autumnal little town where everyone mm. dresses like they're on the, you know, dark academia TikTok. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, God, I actually felt really sorry for a lot of these actresses at the time because the number of terrible montages that they have to do. And then there's a lot of times where they're all just throwing their head backs and laughing at nothing in particular. (laughs) And actually kind of digging in a little bit deeper, move into spoilers. Mm. One of the most iconic and memorable things about the craft is this sort of teen goth aesthetic. Yeah. And what did you make of the way the craft legacy looks? Um, I just I thought it was ridiculous. There's this scene where they walk in slow-mo through a cafeteria and everyone's gasping and they literally are just wearing normal clothes and doing nothing of note. I found it like toe-curlingly embarrassing to watch. Like, I mean, there were some like good looks, but just like if you kind of put those images side by side Mm. it's just so toothless in comparison the word that i kept using when in my notes was limp yeah i just felt like it was a very very limp flaccid film god which is like the opposite of what you would think of when you think of the original craft Mm. which the thing actually really struck me was I got to the end of this and I thought like, there are some scenes from the trailer that don't seem to be in this. And like, I just feel like we went, like something yes. must have happened in the edit here. Yes. And I was like, oh, the, I reckon the original craft, I was like, well, it was a lot longer. So we had so many more events, so much more character development, so many like points of conflict and mm. things that happened. But then I checked and the original craft is six minutes longer. Mm-hmm. So when you think of like the fact that we have like these four established characters and they each like, you know, have like very like different motives for doing what they're going to do. And then Mm. they each kind of accomplish things with the magic as it comes over them. And then it backfires in certain ways. And then there's conflict between them all. And there's that amazing scene with all the sharks. And there's just Mm. like this and there's sexual assault. And there's like weird dynamics that happen between them. And then an amazing finale. And, like, the fact that they did all of that in six minutes more is, well, both really, like, a credit to the craft, but Mm. also, Jesus Christ, what the hell was this film up to? And I'm I'm really, really desperate for us to move into spoilers so we can discuss the finer details of this, Mm. and you can take a big swig of your rosé. But do you think, do you think this is a horror film? And I ask this because... It is obviously being produced by Blumhouse, probably the, the most recognizable horror brand in the world right now, and is kind of being positioned in a weird in-between, between teen movie and horror movie. Do you think this is a horror film? Wow, that's a really interesting question. I didn't like think about that until now. I guess actually it kind of isn't, which is maybe why the tone shift is so weird for me, because it's almost like almost got like almost a disnification to it in that it's like very like clean cut and preppy especially you know compared to the original craft i think one of the things that i liked was uh in the original craft their first time they use 
their magic is because they kill a homeless person and in this one they freeze a butterfly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but no there's not um there's kind of weird moment like horror elements that come in every now and again but yeah overall it's not got a lot of horror to it most of their magic is like making things pretty and sparkly which like as a feminist is also very annoying so on that note let's dig in a little bit more into some of the issues and maybe some of the things that did work in the craft legacy I know it feels fast, but it's nice, isn't it? To have a family unit. Come on in to meet the boys. They're really excited to meet you. How are you feeling about school? You can meet some new friends. I know why the caged bird sings. Oh, wow, that is super nasty. Oh. All right, enough. Settle down. He's made us all cry at one point or another. You should come over after school. What is all this? This is a ceremony to celebrate you. Why would you celebrate me? Because you're out fourth. Just in time for first period. Half the battle of having powers is believing you do. That's why covens have always been important. If we can do that, what else can we do? We need to put a spell on Timmy. We don't want to hurt him though, right? She's right. The number one rule of the craft. If a person is a danger to herself or others, they will be bound. Okay, we're now in full spoilerific zone. Mm. You started talking a little bit about the way that they use magic before. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you kind of, what did you make of the, the way that magic is presented and used in the craft legacy? I think the problem with it is that it doesn't, none of the magic that they do well not none of it but like a lot of it doesn't seem to be very useful or you know like actually worth doing magic for so like a lot of it uh in the montages where they're kind of getting their powers and stuff Mm -hmm. it's like somebody erases some sexist graffiti another person changes someone's hoodie color and i was like well that's pretty tame <laughs> like whilst whilst in the original craft there's like a real idea of like power corrupts so they kind yes. of start off with these noble intentions but you know as they, they get drunk on power and it all gets a lot darker mm. there is no darkness at all to their powers like they don't seem to want anything like they no. just they i don't i don't get why they want to do magic like, I fundamentally don't understand why they're attracted to to witchcraft at all, because they don't seem to have many problems. And yeah. sure, teen 
teenagers in high school is hellish. But it also doesn't seem that hellish. No, no, not really. Like, and again, I'm, I'm so, I'm really trying not to compare it that much, but there is such a kind of, if they're trying to zero in on this sort of, you know, we are the weirdos vibe, mm. they look and dress and speak and behave by all the sort of, I don't know, markers of 2020 coolness. Yeah. They are, uh, yeah. Um, it's so in like the original I mean I think it's ridiculous I mean you don't want to compare it too much but at the mm. end of the day it is positioning itself as a sequel to the craft but in the original you did have this whole thing of like each one of them wanted something and each one of them was an outcast for a reason being that like Nancy was white trash or like Rochelle was like receiving like horrific racist abuse mm. or Neve Campbell like being covered in like de- in terrible uh, burns like they mm-hmm. had something that was like alienating them from the student body and that's why they were so kind of dark in themselves Mm -hmm. but like i yeah even the fact that like one of them is trans nobody seems to actually be like mean to them about it and when there is one scene of a bully the only thing she says is um i wrote it down um she says Oh, is your favorite type of film a period drama? Because yeah. there's a scene in the trailer where she bleeds everywhere. Um, which, and if you compare to like the sort of stuff that they were saying to one another in the original film, this is just a weird choice. I mean, like I would argue that could kind of be a friendly joke given what happened. I'm, I'm going to say something mm-hmm. and I'm fully, fully aware of how mean this is going to sound. I'm not entirely sure if I mean it to be so <laughs> cutting, but I got the feeling that this film was written and made by someone who hasn't really experienced that many obstacles or trauma and had no concept of what it would feel like to be an outsider, or to be othered in any way. Mm. It's interesting you say that. So I know a little bit about the woman who made it. Mm -hmm. It's called Zoe Lister-Jones. And she is probably best known to people as a comedic actress. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she made a film years ago called Band-Aid, which is all about a couple who are, their marriage is uh, on the rocks. And so they decide to kind of start a garage band in order to therapeutically work through their problems and you are correct in that Zoe Lister-Jones is a very conventionally beautiful woman and she's from a very wealthy family of uh, important artists so there might be something there I mean I feel Band-Aid was a great film so Mm. I was actually a little bit more excited about this film based on that but she yeah she just didn't seem to get it there just doesn't seem to be any what's the hardship <laughs> like the one of the things that's most interesting about witchcraft and witches on screen is how they imbue women and kind of you know the disempowered and the othered with supernatural powers that allow them to i don't know remake reframe a world that is not kind of designed for them yeah and here it's just like what the teenagers from Beverly Hills 90210 but now they they can freeze frame butterflies yeah and I've, it is interesting that even that that kind of 
Christification of the whole mm. thing does also kind of extend to the men in this as well i mean mm-hmm. as much as like we are supposed to believe in this film that the patriarchy is the true enemy mm-hmm. um like if you compare what the men in this film do to compare with like what skeet ulrich is like in the original mm-hmm. like it's a lot tamer and also, side note, if anybody really wants uh, something lovely to follow on Instagram, follow Skeet Ulrich. He's oh. the nicest man in the entire world. It's yeah. all, He's so positive. He's, it's really good. He's, he's like such a nice man. I, I was know. like, oh, I did not expect this from you when you no. specialize in playing assholes in the 90s. I love to see it. Yeah, um. what a glow up. <laughs> oh, I do love Skeet Ulrich. He is yeah. one of those... Um, but he was always like the bad boy, wasn't he? But yeah. So incredibly attractive at the same time. Truly. Also, it's him and Matthew Lillard from the 90s. So I was like, I yeah. am so here for every weird performance that you do. I love Matthew Lillard as yeah. well. What range that man uh, has. Truly. I mean, to go from Shaggy to 13 Ghosts. Mm. <laughs> and he's in, he's good in um this new Good Girls, the TV yeah. series. He's the dad. Yeah. He is very good. Going back to the Craft Legacy, they keep coming back quite explicitly in a quite on the nose way to this theme of power there's a lot of lines that are repeated over and over again in the film like your diff your powers your difference or your difference is your power mm-hmm. and then david duchovny's character also kind of has this whole spiel about alchemizing weakness into sovereign power which to be honest is a sentence that doesn't even really make much sense to me no. maybe i'm just not like maybe i'm just not getting it but it's like those are just words i what is that supposed to mean but what do you think do you think it actually succeeds or do you what do you think it's trying to say about power i i think that there was like a decent idea there in that we have kind of timmy who goes through because of the spell that they do and like the way that they phrase the spell is quite interesting and that we are not going to um, you know, they're not kind of changing his personality. They're trying, I think they rephrase it as to become his best self. And in that he becomes like this, like really like sensitive, loving, mm-hmm. non-judgmental person who, um, it's just kind of, I suppose, like freed from toxic masculinity. Whilst you have David Duchovny, who's kind of playing like a weird Jordan Peterson-esque character where it's all like no traditional male roles. But then in a kind of, really shit monologue that he does at the end explaining his you know evil plan Mm -hmm. and he's like oh well you know timmy um you know was willing to give up his power to women and that's why i had to kill him but the only the only thing he ever did in front of david duchovny was help get the chicken Mm -hmm. so like and that's his son's best friend so it doesn't really even kind of gel together as like a cohesive whole and then supposedly he's also kind of a warlock and um but then also his motive was to get her powers from her so like it's just a mess it's messy it almost feels like there's a missed scene where his character finds out about the fact that timmy had hooked up with his elder son which would have made more sense of like you know it's like the intense homophobia of it yeah yeah absolutely and yeah i don't know i don't know if it's been maybe slightly mangled in the edit or something but yeah it feels like there's it's a messy disconnect that doesn't quite make sense 
And what do you think? I mean, we've spoken kind of a lot about the the lead girls, but there is surprisingly quite a lot of male characters in this film. I mean, Tim, Timmy is the the best one, but what did Love you think Timmy. of all the men? I didn't understand why there were three sons that looked so similar to one another. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I really couldn't tell them apart. It's like, oh, great, pasty, pretty white boys sounds yeah. fantastic. And none of them had any real dialogue outside of kind mm. of one scene where they're having like a cathartic screaming thing because their friend died. Um, and and like, there's just weird gratuitous masturbation scene which I just felt that like for a film that we're trying to be like supposedly progressive that's kind of a bit gross <laughs> and like because it's not even funny it's just a bit like Ugh. yeah and what did you think of the let's call it the the aggressive wokeness of the film I, I think if they just expanded on that because I, I, I messaged you beforehand I was like Con- controversially I don't mind the wokeness <laughs> but I was just if it was coherent mm. and then kind of actually developed into something and like as their powers grew stronger maybe they were in- able to do like more significant things than like change what a hoodie looks like I could have gone with that um but yeah it's so bad and the special I mean David Duchovny is someone that I do genuinely think is a talented actor so I don't know how you felt about it but I thought he was absolutely terrible in this and some of the CGI used around him was again just like toe curlingly embarrassing oh I thought he was just like uh asleep yeah I think he was like barely there yeah, like maybe there's a gambling debt that he needed to pay off or something. And he's like, cool, give me like 50k, I'll do this. And there was, uh, kind of going back to the, the CGI and kind of the effects and stuff, what what do you think of the way that the film repurposes some of the the shots and uh, the, the imagery from the original The Craft? From the title credits to some of the, the kind of the witchcrafty scenes? Oh, I don't know. Just most, for the most part, it just made me really want to be watching the original craft. <laughs> Fair enough. It's driven me to drink, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to make it till November the 1st. Okay, I'm going to, before I ask another proper serious question, just let it go. Tell me all the things you really hate about this film. Oh, God. Um... What was the worst thing about this film? I think the end is up there. Um, Oh, you know what was also really fucking terrible? Mm. Is that in the trailer, they have a scene where somebody brings out Nancy's uh, photograph. And then that never happens in the film. So the entire way through, I'm like, did they trick me that Feruza Bulk is in in this? Mm -hmm. Um, All of the red herrings drove me insane. Like they Mm. keep making a thing about like her necklace. They make a thing about like Timmy's dead mother. Like all mm-hmm. of this is gonna build up to something, and none of it does. Nope. Like, oh god, it's it's an infuriating film because the ingredients are there, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, making a health film is hard, but this just feels like lazy. This feels like there was about as much thought put into it as like making an episode of Charmed. It, I, I arguably is a long life charmed fan i think there's probably more thought put into charmed Mm. it feels just 
lazy, and not lazy, unimaginative. It feels just like profoundly mediocre. Someone who just isn't really necessarily a director. Like visually, I thought there's barely anything interesting. And like you mentioned, kind of some of the choices are kind of just misleading, but in a way that it I don't at all think is deliberate. It's more incompetent than anything else. Yeah. And if you're going to kind of do these like similar beats of um you know, like when they're raising her them, you know, light as a feather stiff of board by her fingers, mm. why does that then descend into yet again everybody throwing their head backs and laughing? Because if you watch that original scene, like they're terrified. Yeah. There's a million thoughts going through their heads. They're freaked yeah. out by this. They're kind of overwhelmed by their own power. And then for if you think about how great the final con- uh, confrontation is in the mm. in the film, and like how incredibly like dark and twisted that fight is, mm. and like this, we just had—I mean, they did set someone on fire, but like so badly. I mean, I think the word for it is is incredibly uncinematic film. Mm. Yeah. It did feel like cheap TV. It it did. It really did. I think it didn't, again, did not smartly use um, its budget, really. Because there's ways of making a very effective horror film on, on low budgets. Like, literally half Definitely. of the genre is built on that. <laughs> but I don't think this is it. And I, I did find that, like, in my most forgiving of stances of this film, I do think it's potentially interesting the their relationship to their magic is vastly different in that they're sort of amazed and really embracing and kind of more like, oh my God, this is so cool. Rather than, holy shit, we're dealing with like some supernatural forces here and we might just get murdered or some like really, really bad shit might happen. And I like you as an intelligent human woman, if you got powers overnight, would you just be one note about it? (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) Terrified. But I don't know what teenagers in 2020 think like. That's true. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, my forgiveness of this film only stems from the, the thought that I don't think this is a film made for you or me. I don't think this is for our generation at all. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I I like young people and I want them to have good films. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this film at all will resonate with Gen Z audiences in the way that the craft resonated with us. No, not at all. I I, I think it's kind of, and that's the reason that Blumhouse has buried it in the way that they have, mm. which is a shame because yeah, this is like four young actresses that I think were doing their best with what they were given, mm-hmm. and like had this amazing opportunity to like you know. For the most part, the cast of the craft have all done pretty well for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in Rachel True, which um, might not be as mainstream known as everyone else, but she's had a very solid career on like black sitcoms in America. Um, and obviously, Neve Campbell and Robin Tunney mm-hmm. and Faruza Bulk have all like you know done a lot of things of note. So it's a, like I'm annoyed on their behalf that these like young actresses were probably so excited to be in this film, and this is what their kind of introduction to the world is because I, I didn't know any of them before um I'd seen it um I'd <sighs> seen Lovey Simone in a film before and I think she's she's probably the most charismatic actress for me in this yeah well her and Gideon Adlin I think as Frankie who's kind of the more rambunctious of them yeah she's fun but again I don't 
But again, they give her one note that she's kind of like slightly sexually attracted to this one boy and it's like there is nothing else. Yeah. I mean, can you think of another? Oh, none of them get anything. I mean, even yeah. Lourdes, who's the the trans girl, she just gets one. She's got like literally like two or three lines in the film. And then I kept like looking at her and she's always in the background. She's always in shot, but she's never actually speaking or doing anything. So I'm a bit like, why yeah. do the whole song and dance and have a throw? I all up for kind of just, oh, she's a trans character. Do one throwaway line and just embrace her for who she is and what she contributes to this dynamic. But then she's not allowed to say anything. Yeah. I mean, which is funny because I think a lot of the positive reviews I've read of this, of which, you know, there are some from some people I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been this thing about like, isn't this amazing that we have a trans character, a Latina trans character and that like that doesn't define her. And I was just like, well, what film were you watching? What the hell else did she get to do? Yeah, no, she didn't really get much. None of them did, really. Uh, and then we have to talk about the ending. I was just about to go there. <laughs> let's talk about uh, the ending. Uh. Well, let's talk about the two endings, because again, <laughs> there's the ending with David Duhovny, and mm. then there's the ending with the big reveal of the film. The big reveal. That, so, <laughs> so let's which talk is about... a little bit signposted, but to be honest, I yeah. kind of thought it would be Robin Tunney. No. Oh, no, I totally saw it coming as um, Nancy. Okay, so Nancy is her biological mother. Yep. And we go to see her in the asylum at the end, where mm-hmm. she looks very, very sad. Yep. Now, the reason that I didn't get that is because... Nancy was in an asylum at the end of the craft Mm -hmm. and she's clearly still in an asylum. Mm -hmm. So what has happened that she had a kid? Whilst the Robin Tunney, I thought like, oh, maybe something's happened there where, I don't know, there was some terrible vengeance that gets, you know, she's, as as we understand it, has been out in the world Mm -hmm. living her life. Mm -hmm. So if we're trying to suggest that like Nancy, whilst insane in an asylum has been sexually assaulted and a child was born out of that i think that that kind of needed to have a few minutes on it yeah i that was where my that's how i filled the gap because especially for a film that goes on about consent i mean it goes on about consent but it's just kind of not really exploring it at all it's just parroting the lines that you get and think pieces about consent Mm mm-hmm but on the on the Nancy front, like it it made sense because I think it was also very signposted by that terrible sort of fake Polaroid that was just a still photograph from the craft in the yeah, trailer. Which is when she's about to murder Skeet Ulrich, <laughs> yeah. where there were definitely nobody taking photos in no. that room. <laughs> oh, it's so cringe. I was like, oh no, what are you doing? This is not even this is not even funny, bad. This is just really, really painful. But I also not really sure why they would put that in the trailer when everybody would get annoyed about it and turn it into a hilarious online meme. But then Yeah eliminated from the film i mean i'm glad they did because it makes no sense but i'm also just sort of now suspicious about the process but yeah, yeah I it think- is weird that they would have a thing of like let me remind you of a much better version of this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i do um i could i could sort of see it coming but 
I I agree with you. There then is a number of blanks that are just not explained, not filled in, and yeah, you know. I would have been awful. David Duchovny being her dad and Nancy being her, you know, and her mother, and there was like an and that all comes mm. out, and it's mm-hmm. like you know then she has to go on this journey because of like, she discovers she's got this really, really dark parentage and maybe she taps into that side of something. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Uh, were you annoyed when you saw Faruza Balk or like? I wasn't annoyed because I could see it coming and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be Faruza. And I was like, oh, I always love her. So it'll be nice to see. It, it was like, oh, it'll be nice to see her. Yeah. But at that point I was like, Okay, I like the relationship between the two films. I think that's a, again, cute way to tie them together. Yeah. I, if it had more meat on the bones, it would have worked just better because, you know, then you you get kind of this interesting question of you know how does Lily Lilith deal with her parentage? You know what happened to Nancy? How does Nancy deal with kind of knowing that her daughter is out there, the powers are now apparently hereditary. You know, like all of these things are questions. I was like, yes, I want an extended craft universe. I want to know more about this. I want to spend more time with all of these different threats that are opened up. But Maybe it should have been a TV show. Maybe, but this is not it. At I, least they could have started, they, I don't know, they could have explored some of this stuff because I, I, I don't feel like the central conceit of this is bad. Like, no. that we're doing it for a new generation. We're mm-hmm. bringing in, like, wokeness. We're bringing in kind of toxic masculinity as, mm-hmm. like, the real um, enemy. Yeah, but I think that there's... I don't think it's smart enough to explore the themes that it wants to explore. I don't think it's smart enough to explore themes of um, female friendship outside of the superficial kind of nonsensical giggling and makeovers and sleepovers. I don't think it's smart enough to explore the toxic masculinity outside of just, oh, they're all warlocks and they hate women in a really obvious way. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, but the kind of... The- the whole point is that it's a little bit more nuanced and quite a bit more difficult than that. And it's not just about, you know, saying that you like Princess Nokia at mm. a party and that that's that's not enough <laughs> to <laughs> suddenly be woke. Like it's kind of using that as a almost as a laughing point. And if it was kind of intentionally satirical, I'd be like, this is funny. This yeah. is funny, but then there's nothing else to it. So I'm like, oh, you're not trying to be funny. You think you're you think you're making a good point here. Yeah. But I think it's really like summed up in this uh that scene where they slow-mo walk through the cafeteria yeah. and all of the other people are like gasping and staring at them. But like you're like, but what? You haven't actually made anything here to yeah. provoke this reaction. You can't just kind of insert these things like this and not have any like context or exploration or mm. style or motive. Um and like have us just completely get on board with this. I think it's just, it was genuinely like incompetent filmmaking. Yep. Like even the fact that David Duchovny has like six different motives, (laughs) none of which really add up. (laughs) So let's round up this conversation by talking about David Duchovny. Maybe this should be a TV show. Just each week, me getting like comparatively drunker each week, <laughs> us 
going over what went wrong with the craft. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have pages and pages of notes and I'm kind of sad to revisit them. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, what did you think of the big bad of the film? Mr. Duchovny. He was just crap. And also like, it wasn't even like a decent twist because this film is so devoid of conflict that there wasn't actually any other option. Like it had to be him. Yeah. 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 I kind of just sure. That's his death scene. I mean, like it's this is what I talk about with like the tonal inconsistencies with this film. Mm -hmm. Like we're gonna have like quite a like explicit thing of like some guy jacking off, but Mm -hmm. like his death scene seemed like it was edited so it could be in like a Disney film. Like genuinely, like there is the death of the bad guy in Tarzan is mm. darker than this death scene where he just almost like there's fire and then he like evaporates and everyone's fine with it. Nobody's traumatized at having like incinerated their stepdad and you know, none, none of it. Oh God. And even like the mother straight afterwards, mm-hmm. like her daughter killed her boyfriend and she's fine with it. She is just as peppy as she ever was. There's no revisiting those three weird boys whose dad has just died. Oh, yeah. They're they're just, oh, yeah, we're cool now. Moving away. Gotta go see your birth mother. Let alone, you know, totally ignoring the kind of the sacred promise that I made to Nancy Downs about never revealing her parentage to Lily. Fuck that. I know, and they're also kind of philosophically, it doesn't even add up with the first film because there was never anything in the first film that like this was genetic. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And like now to come across with like, oh no, it's because your mother has this, and also there's a necklace which again again doesn't come to anything at all. But that said, you know, I'm into the 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 teasing of that idea, but then yeah. we get nothing from it. It's just like a, like a, like it was written on a napkin. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if there was something about a necklace and, you know, maybe it was passed down by Nancy. Yeah, that would be cool, but it doesn't happen. I know. And also Nancy famously wore a ton of necklaces and that was not any of them. She had some <laughs> great dog collars, some crucifixes, some long stuff. Mm-hmm. Nancy wouldn't have been caught dead in a kind of simple pendant. Um, I'm, I mean, I haven't triple checked this, but pretty I sure, have. pretty sure... <laughs> That necklace is from ASOS. Really? Just saying. <gasps> Just saying. Because I do well, shop for a lot of silver necklaces on ASOS. <laughs> I I have checked the original craft and she was not wearing that necklace. Oh, I know she wasn't. Which like, is so I have... lazy. Because yeah. there were like 14 necklaces they could have chosen from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Thank you so much for your time. You've made me, you've successfully drawn me into the dark side. I went from being open-minded and empathetic. It's like, oh, this is for the young ones to now like, fuck this film. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean, but then like, I love this younger generation. I find them amazing. You see them like Mm -hmm. doing this like cool stuff on TikTok and being so like politically engaged and stuff. And when, you know, I've got a sister who's, uh, 19 hmm. and like when I meet her friends I just think that they're all like genuinely extraordinary and hmm. so much better than I was at that age mm-hmm. so I want them to have better films <laughs> yes go watch the craft from the 90s that's what oh, they I'm should gonna do. watch it again it was so good <laughs> but like okay like just 
one of the most iconic moments from the craft is yeah. when they go out and um, they kind of their powers are amping up now and they go and they call the four corners and then yeah. they come across this beach covered in sharks that yes. kind of which is an offering for Mano and yeah. there's a whole kind of philosophy of witchcraft or relating to Mano and like cool imagery that's put out there and like why wouldn't you if you were making a, a, a sequel or a version of it being just like we need to have a great big cinematic set piece halfway through to match mm. what happens in the original because mm -hmm. there's just nothing in that in there's nothing equivalent no you're absolutely right and on that note i think we should wrap up our conversation about the craft legacy <laughs> i'm gonna pitch this as a tv show though it can't i mean look if the craft legacy can get made we can i mean seriously <laughs> I am down for an extended uh, craft cinematic universe. I want to reunite all the leads. I want everyone. Yeah, and I want Zoe Lister-Jones to go back to doing sitcoms. <laughs> all comedies. What? Like, Band-Aid was good and it was a comedy. Yeah, they just... Uh, they're st just really... The thing that I always get extremely annoyed about is that there's so many... Re like, if the, obviously it makes sense for a female filmmaker to direct us. There's so many great filmmakers out there who love horror. Yeah who have made great horror shorts, who know, yeah. like, know and are just hungry for an opportunity. I've got a whole list. I can happily send the list to anyone who wants it. There's so many great yeah. people out there who can make a horror film with bite and that taps into new woke or whatever you want to call them, politics, and can yeah. reimagine but also honour one of the most iconic films. So funny that ironically a film that's supposed to be uh, extremely woke is kind of bought into white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, one last thing I have to say. Yeah. What the fuck was up with the references in this film? Why would they be that into Twilight? They would oh have been like God. five when it came out. <laughs> I don't... <sighs> all None of it makes sense. I don't. I don't know. I mean... It would have been. It would have made so much more sense if they were just like on witch talk or something. Mm. Like, yeah. what is up with Twilight? What's up with Twilight? I mean, sure, yeah, Princess Nokia is great, but also, yeah. what? Or even like the whole thing about like I love Beyonce because I'm a black yeah. woman, and I was just like, well, you know, she's young. It probably that wouldn't be the immediate. I mean, we're like we all love Beyonce, but Beyonce is like. Mm -hmm from whether you're like 16 to 60, like that's not really a defining thing that you're obsessed with, I'd imagine, if you were yeah. a teenager in 2020. But then again, it just taps into the fact that none of them actually have that much of a personality. And I guess pop culture references are the norm now. But like the laziness that you wouldn't even bother to come up with pop culture references that would be mm. relevant to them. I mean, I think Zoe Lester-Jones is in her late 30s, so it makes yeah. sense that that is what she'd be thinking of. But like that you wouldn't actually bother to, I don't know, just like put in like a TikTok star or something like, you know, something. Yeah, it's also just extremely mainstream. And again, kind of, I mean, it, it's not saying that kind of mm. you, they needed to make this film gothy, but there is a there is a style to it there is a kind of a there's a whole aesthetic background and aesthetic baggage associated with witchcraft with um with kind of teen outsiders with and especially now kind of like there's so many more visual opportunities for them to explore kind of teen gen z culture 
even yeah. just visually without even including it in the script and it just looks like a like an asos magazine photo shoot it really does although i really like that look that she had at the party with all the pearls aside from that yeah. though. oh no i mean like they all look great yeah they do look great but I'm I'm a bit like, why? I mean, you look really cool. Like, who would pick on you? Like, you look amazing. You look trendier than the supposed mean popular girls in your high school. Who, yeah, who aren't even good at insulting people. Yeah, I mean, is... they're so bad. Again, I'm sorry, I'm projecting, I guess, a lot of things. Oh, you got me so riled up now, Layla. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I'm, I might be projecting a bit, but... I don't think anyone involved in this who wrote this film has ever been bullied or insulted. Because I'm like, girl, yeah. is that the worst that anyone's ever said to you? Yeah. Really? They did not go for the jugular <laughs> at all. Like I was saying, I think it was like literally the level of like bants. Yeah. <laughs> and also the fact that like the only like terrible alienating thing that happens to her is this like thing with the period where she, yeah. I mean, like she's like hemorrhaging out of her vagina. Yeah. But like... Her, the other girls in the coven did that to her. The worst thing that happens to her is from this like really just like happy sisterhood. And she never seems like that pissed off about it. Yeah. And also just like, uh, yes, totally mortifying for a teenage girl. Absolutely. Re like really though? Is that is that going to be enough to... Is that, yeah. is that the bigger thing? And they have a thing, they, they come into the bathroom to comfort her and they're just like, oh, you know, Timmy, he's made all of us cry. And I was like, no, that was you! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Which okay. kind of could have been quite a cool twist if they turned out they'd been gaslighting her the entire mm. time. I'd be into that. Also, just a, fi just a final thing. All the boys look the same. All the boys look exactly the same. What's up? What's up with them? And they all have like very similar bland names. There's no interesting, diff like everyone in that school is a supermodel. Everyone and in that high school. And last time we had Breckenmeyer, we had Skeet Ulrich, and yeah. then a third guy who were all very different haircuts, yeah. different heights. <laughs> it was easy to follow what was going on. I could only tell the three brothers apart because like one of them is obviously them much is younger. <laughs> yeah, one of them's a child and the other two I'm like, which one is which? Because when it, woke Timmy was like, I hooked up with this guy. I was like, which one's that? Is that yeah. your friend or the other one? No, it was another one. But there was no reason at all for that to be two characters. No. At all. So it's just like such a weird, overly kind of testosterone heavy house. Like these three sons. And David Duchovny, and he brings in this, his, you know, his girlfriend and her daughter. I was like, oh, oh, this is a bit, bit intense, isn't it? Yeah, I really didn't believe in David Duchovny and Michelle Moynihan's relationship at all. No, no, no. Like, they didn't seem to have anything in common, because she's like a cool mom. And she's like, you know, calling people dick bags with her daughter and like mm. being super supportive. And he's like incredibly like stiff, weird Jordan Peterson. But, yeah. like, there was never any idea of, like, why would those two people like each other? <laughs> and it's not even like she's desperate. They're like, oh, she's a therapist from New Jersey, so she's doing fine. Yeah. And she seems perfectly, like, happy. That would have been so much better, actually, if they'd had, like, a kind of really dark thing of, like, a desperate woman mm. like, who's just kind of looking past everything in order to, um, you know, 
have a better life for herself which is actually um yeah that would have been good you know what why did michelle moynihan even sign up for this though she's a talented actress like this is such a thankless role so it's like why did david de sign up for this okay i think i think we've <laughs> i think we've savaged this film enough I know. I think we feel like we've had therapy. Yeah. I mean, I was. I'm almost keen to suggest doing a a a public watch drink drunk watch along of both the craft and the craft legacy. But do we want to subject ourselves to watching the craft legacy again? You know, I've I've um, been on this podcast a few times before, <laughs> and we have all we you know we've done kind of a load of different films. We've mm-hmm. done you know things as good as Trouble Every Day, and we've done like Species, and every <laughs> film that I've ever done, I have never come away from it and be like, guys, don't watch this until now. <laughs> like it's not even fun, bad, and I love a bad film. Yeah. Like, I love a, like, campy, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I love, like, you know, death becomes her. and You know, like, anything that's just, like, I will forgive mm-hmm. structurally shit mm-hmm. and terribly acted if it's fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this was even fun. I think it was genuinely, like, quite depressing. <laughs> and on that note. But, you know, I actually liked it a lot more before we started talking. <laughs> I think, like, this process <laughs> is really, like... <laughs> Uh, we've dragged each other down into a level of disdain for this film that I'm almost ashamed of. <laughs> almost. <laughs> so, Leila, thank you so much. And I am so sorry that you had to go through that. <laughs> well, I, well, you know. <sighs> yeah, we're good people. Why did this happen to us? <laughs> So, aside from your many savage thoughts on the craft legacy, um, where can people find more of your work online? Um, yeah, so um, often popping up on Sight and Sound and Little White Lies at the moment. Uh, the new issue of Little White Lies is out in a few days, and um, I'm not allowed to say what it's about, but it is such a phenomenal issue. And if you're a horror fan, there's a piece about... Um, this Phantom of the Opera remake that was set in the MGM studios that I think is like one of my favorite things. I didn't write it, but it's one of my favorite things I read this year. Um, and then loads of me as well. And then aside from that, November 7th, uh, BBC mm-hmm. Two on um, at like 9.30 p.m. I'm, I'll be introducing the new BBC lineup for films. So you can catch me there. It'll be on iPlayer afterwards. Lovely. Thank you so much for for enduring this film and for talking to me about it thank you for helping me get through it 